Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. It's been a choppy start to 2023 for U.S. equity markets, as signs of cooling inflation and slower growth have left investors wondering what's next. With recession fears still looming, investors may want to consider a defensive options-based equity strategy that could hedge against potential market declines. And now, investors have the opportunity to do just that with the all-new Fidelity Smart Hedge U.S. Equity Fund. Joining Fidelity Connects today to introduce Fidelity Smart Hedge U.S. Equity Fund is Portfolio Manager and Derivatives Analyst Eric Grenett and Investment Product Vice President Tim Callahan. Eric and Tim join host Pamela Rishi to explain how this fund may complement an investor's existing investment portfolio and why might financial advisors want to consider this strategy now. Whether you are an investment professional or an investor, today's show will have something for you. Fidelity Smart Hedge U.S. Equity Fund aims to achieve long-term capital growth, investing primarily in equity securities from some of America's largest companies. The fund uses an options-based derivative strategy to hedge market exposure to help mitigate downside risk while providing upside protection. Eric manages the fund alongside Zach DeWurst, Mitch Livestone, and also leverages Fidelity's global research network and investment expertise. This podcast was recorded on January 24th, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Tim, let's begin, if you don't mind, with you. Tell us a little bit about, we outlined some market issues going on right now, but why this type of strategy now? Yeah, well, you highlighted some very pertinent questions, Pamela, you know, just given the economic backdrop and the volatility we've seen in the market for the last couple of years, this is the type of product that we think could be super interesting additive to really any investor portfolio. And we'll get we'll get into some of the reasons why we think that's the case moving forward. But, you know, two or three years ago, we really embarked on this project. It's been a, a little bit of a labor of love for us, just trying to you know, increase the number of sophisticated products that we have on offer um, to really solve some of the more vexing problems that investors face and that we think are going to be continue to face in, into the future. Higher inflation, more volatility, um, you know, that kind of Goldilocks scenario we saw for more than a decade after the global financial crisis where stocks and bonds just kind of went straight up with no volatility every year. You know, we didn't think that that was all that likely to persist into the future. You know, obviously, the last two to three years have have borne that out. So, you know, we've been hard at work here in the investment product group, working with our partners in asset management to bring more sophisticated solutions forward. And we think this product is is a perfect manifestation of that. That's great. Eric, how do puts and calls help ultimately investors in a market like this? Yeah, Pamela, that's a great question. You know, puts and calls, um, and specific to this product, puts only, really are the optimal hedging tool we have at our disposal. And we have a strong bias towards centrally cleared, exchange-traded S&P 500 put options. That's where, where the world really comes to hedge equity market risk. 
And that's those are the products and the securities that we exclusively incorporate in this strategy. Tim, tell us a little bit about, you know, so an investor might like to use this strategy because, I mean, that's what everyone's sort of joining us here today is sort of thinking, okay, I've got clients with this type, these different types of portfolios. This is meant to complement perhaps an existing approach? It is, Pamela, very much so. Yeah. So if you think about, you know, where you typically get defensiveness in your portfolio, there's a couple of different ways to achieve it. Obviously, a strategic allocation is the bedrock of any portfolio. You know, diversification across traditional asset classes, stocks, bonds, cash, that works great and has worked great for most of the time over the past century. It certainly worked fantastically well post-global financial crisis. You know, for the most part, a 60-40 portfolio outperformed pretty much any other approach, and you really didn't want a ton of diversification because if you had too much diversification, you underperformed the market. So, you know, that that's certainly one way to do it. The issue with strategic allocations is that during times like high inflation that we saw over the last year, correlations tend to spike. And that benefit that you traditionally get from a mix of stocks and bonds really breaks down. You know, there's been kind of folks have heard the expression, there's been nowhere to hide. That's certainly been true in traditional asset classes. So, you know, another way of adding defensiveness is to get tactical, right? To go to cash. We think that's really hard. Um, maybe some of the folks on the call are smart enough to to do that, um, but getting those inflection points right is really, really difficult, we think. And so this approach, which is more contractual, it's always on protection, we think is the safest way to go about it and, and most, most consistent and most persistent in terms of protection that you get. So Eric, just pick up on that for us, if you would, because so, so protection, for instance, on the downside, but you know, what if markets go up? Well, that's something that we always want to position ourselves so that we can cheer right alongside the investor uh, for the market to go up. That's a great outcome for this strategy. And, you know, I think not to drill too deeply into our options, uh, our options overlay in the portfolio. You know, we know that to, to provide a very effective downside hedge across market cycles, we need to do two things well. And we think about drawdowns, not only in terms of the immediate spike in volatility, the sharp, sometimes painful drawdown in equity market prices and the loss of investor confidence. But we also think about the second phase that I don't think gets enough gets enough acknowledgement. And that's the subsequent rebound. Investors come back to the market, volatility drops, re prices rebound. And, and so it's very important for us to navigate both sides of those to really create a product that's going to perform well, not just for a specific 2020 drawdown event or a 2002 event, but a broad range of different uh, market volatility shocks. Tim, if you would just sketch for us sort of how the team works together or the, or the composition of the, of the team running this fund. So, you know, Eric is our primary practitioner here. He's got an absolute ton of derivatives experience. There's no one at Fidelity that has been thinking about derivatives and looking into these markets longer than Eric has, but he's got a very strong investment team and platform behind him. We've been hard at work here at Fidelity investing in both the front, middle, and back office to support um, a full suite of derivatives products to ensure best execution, to make sure that we've got the most sophisticated set of tools from a fiduciary standpoint that we can bring forward to help you know, with strategies like this to really solve investor problems. And Eric's got a very strong team behind him. We've got a CIO named Mitch Livestone, who's got a ton of experience in the liquid alts and hedge fund world as well. You know, top shelf risk management systems, 
and really the full weight and support of Fidelity Fundamental and quantitative research um, behind. Is, is there anything you'd add to that, Eric? No, I, I think that's fair. You know, one thing that, you know, we've been building this team out in our internal processes for over 10 years, and there's, you know, the right way to do things, and then I'd say there's the Fidelity standard. We didn't move quickly into this space. We, we took our time building out the operational systems, hiring the right people, building the trading methodologies, the portfolio management tools, the risk management features that, you know, meet all of the criteria, the elevated criteria of the fidelity standards. So, um, you know, that's a little bit about how we think about the product and the care that we put into it. And, and I think that dovetails with how we've constructed our team. Eric, you can't go very far with without hearing about headlines of sort of different types of technologies that have improved across really every industry, particularly though within finance. Products like this that were thought of and and came and were sort of manifested years ago, how, how different would they be to creating a product today, launching it tomorrow? What how, What's the difference? That's such a great question. And um, it highlights it highlights what's so fun about working in the derivative space. And, you know, if you wind the clock back 10 or 15 years, maybe 20 years, not to date myself, you know, in the S&P 500 option space, we had one, maybe two option expirations per month. We had a total of across the U.S. anyways, uh, maybe four option exchanges. If fast forward to today, we have 18 to 22 uh, expiration dates per month. We have over 20 option exchanges in the U.S. So the market has matured at a rate that is just, it's sometimes hard to keep up with, but it's also that rapid uh, maturity in the market has been a tremendous advantage for us. So we benefit in launching products today relative to our peers that launched maybe 5, 10. We have competitors out there that launched almost 40 years ago. They didn't have the tools at their disposal that we have today. And so I don't like the term to say that we've developed a next generation product, but we're certainly using these new tools to benefit the construction of this new portfolio relative to what our peers had at their disposal when they launched again five, 10 years ago. Tim, just sort of keeping in line with, you know, a risk profile, for instance, I mean, every type of investing has some inherent risk in it. There's no, there's no question. What, what do investors, advisors need to know about the risk profile of this? Yeah, I mean, it's a classic defensive equity product, Pamela. So it's, it's going to, you know, participate in the upside. It certainly has beta exposure to, to the S&P 500, to the U.S. equity market, but it's going to have a muted volatility profile which we think is really important for any number of reasons. Just, you know, it's it's really, if you think about it, it's a great behavioral finance type product. A lot of folks, you know, suffer pitfalls and biases in, in the behavioral space. You know, we're wired to not be great investors, um, particularly in times of, of stress and, you know, severe stress like we've seen in the market over the last few years. This is the type of product that really kind of mitigates some of those concerns and really encourages folks to stay the course Day in the market, you know, I mentioned tactical allocations, like trying to go to cash. Again, that's really hard. You know, one other point on, uh, you know, Eric mentioned a little bit about market volatility events having distinct phases, the drawdown and the recovery. You know, oftentimes the recovery is as sharp as the drawdown. And you really saw that post-COVID in March and April of, of 2020. You know, if you went to cash and missed those first few trading days when the market rebounded, you missed a lot of upside. So there's a big opportunity cost potentially, especially if you're wrong and you don't get, you know, the market doesn't send you an all clear memo. The market leads and the indicators lag. So, you know, this is really a product that insulates us from our worst tendencies to a degree. 
Um, so that's one of the primary use cases, Pamela, is really, you know, and why we would recommend putting it at the core of a portfolio, why we think it's a, a, a ter terrific add to a, a core of a portfolio, because it really mutes the volatility of the equity portion of the portfolio while still giving you that equity market participation on the upside. Eric, there, how ultimately do, do you look at how much of the portfolio is hedged at any one time? I mean, what can you give us any detail on that? You know, this is a systematic rules-based strategy. We do actively manage it day to day, but the level of protection is is um, we, we target 100% at all times. So we're not looking to toggle the level of protection based on volatility levels or our own appetite for risk in the marketplace. We're targeting 100% hedge at all times. And that will vary as as time to time. But the safest way to think about that is, generally speaking, we have 100% of the equity exposure hedged at all times. In very rare periods where we see the cost of put protection go up dramatically. And those are environments where I'd say if people are familiar with the VIX index or maybe in the, in Canada, the CVIX index, in U.S. terms, once we see VIX trading above you know, 0 0.5, 0 0.6, we know that those puts are incredibly expensive. At which point we do have a floor, and no matter what, at least 75% of the portfolio is hedged. But I have to say that that's such a rare event. You know, I think for the sake of this conversation, we target 100%. That's generally where we land 90 plus percent of the time. Are there costs that, you know, advisors would want to know, investors would want to know associated with buying and also selling certain types of options contracts that, that you manage, but, but people might want to be aware of? Yeah, sure. So as far as implementation costs, right? So it's important to note that there are two components to the strategy, right? We're passively replicating the S&P 500 with a quantitative process. We have very, very low, uh, our, our portfolio rebalancing is, is based just to track the index. So we're not making any bets there. Our implementation costs are very low. From the option side of things, you know, we're, we're trading at least every month. Um, but it's important to note that we're only really trading about a third of the portfolio every month. Those implementation costs we find are far lower than many of our peers that have a very active strategy where they're moving in and out of positions based on either a model or uh, some other factor. We're maintaining these positions and we, we have a systematic role strategy that, again, um, with the, with, particularly with the heyday of electronic trading and, and, and how prevalent it is in our exchanges, our implementation costs remain consistently low on the option side as well. Tim, tell us about a caller strategy of competitors, how this works, uh, take us into this conversation. You know, there's some terrific competitor products out there in the market, out there in the marketplace rather, excuse me, that are more like caller strategies. So your last question about costs is, is very, is really germane to, to the discussion here. You know, Eric talked about the explicit costs of, of trading options. Some of the competition, you know, they, they kind of market the strategy as, as costless from a defensive standpoint in that they're paying for the put protection on the downside by selling call options, right? So they're harvesting premia associated by um, writing calls and then buying long puts um, with those with those premia and, and, you know, kind of calling it a wash. And that works great if the market trades within a certain range. But if the market goes up, you know, which it sometimes does, as, as we've talked about here, you know, what you're doing is you're selling your upside. So you know, the, the explicit costs may be low, but the implicit or opportunity cost is very high. And that's something that we've thought a lot about. And Eric and, and his team have done a ton of research on, you know, we're really trying to stay out of the way of market rallies. The market goes up a lot more often than it goes down from a frequency distribution standpoint. And if the market goes up violently enough, happily, right, we, we don't want our 
equity upside to get called away. We want investors to participate in that upside because that's where the compounding really kicks in. So we've designed the product in that way to really stay out of the way when the market is rallying. And we think that is a very important and differentiating feature of, of our strategy relative to, to some of the other ones. Does this product, uh, Eric, address currency risk in any way? No, we, we do not perform currency hedging in the strategy. So tell us again a little bit, if you don't mind, Tim, just sort of let's come back to who this is for. I just want to sort of sketch out. So you've got people invested in this market. They've looked at last year's concerns in the market. It was a, it was a complicated year. There's no question. Walking into this year, who, again, would be taking a look at this and, and how would they apply it? Sort of the application question, really. Yeah, sure thing, Pamela. I mean, and that's that's a really interesting question, and I'll share a little bit of some of our thoughts on that. Um, but our thinking has evolved on it based on some feedback we've got from our distribution teams with whom we started working. We launched this product in the United States a few months ago, and we've started to get some terrific feedback from advisors and some use cases that we didn't even think of in terms of applications for the strategy have come forward that that I'll share with you because I I just think they're super fascinating. You know, our, our core thought on this was, you know, there were, there were kind of two primary use cases that we had in mind was, you know, for folks that are just maybe really nervous about the market and under allocated to equities, maybe too much cash on the sideline. This is a terrific product for them because it gives you equity market exposure with a muted volatility profile. So you're not going to experience the roller coaster ride that the market can take you on, particularly on those down days um, that folks get really nervous about. Um, you know, so that was our primary use case was to try to coax maybe some cash off the sidelines into a product like this as a way to dip your toe in the water um, for equity exposure. You know, another one was just, you know, maybe you're over allocated to equities or you're concerned about equity market valuation. The fact that equities have run so much over the last decade, you could substitute a portion of your equity portfolio into our defensive equity strategy here. Um, to take some of that um, market risk off the table. But a, another use case is kind of developed, you know, from talking with some of our internal asset allocators who build solutions here, package solutions for clients both in the United States and Canada. Our asset allocators are interested in um, investing in this strategy as a way to express an overweight to equities. So if you want to overweight, a, you know, an already fully loaded equity portfolio, but maybe want to you know dial down the risk a little bit of that overweight. This this is another way to do it. So you know th there's kind of myriad use cases here. It really depends. You know, I hate saying it depends, but it really does depend on um, the the situation of the individual investor. This this strategy can really be implemented in a number of different ways and complement an existing portfolio in a number of ways. Eric, a couple of questions, just wanting to go back to kind of the bare bones of taking a look at derivatives, put and call options here you're using puts, but if you can if you can just sort of do a starter, people interested in this strategy, ultimately how it might work, but they need a reminder. Yeah, definitely. That's a great, great question, Pamela. So yeah, so this this strategy, as Tim highlighted, we're explosive we're focused on explicit costs, right? So we're competing against um quite a few competitors out there that deploy either a caller strategy where they're selling an upside call to help fund their puts, or in many cases, a put spread caller. The feedback we received for the market was that there was a desire for explicit costs. People like strategies that are rules-based. And we really 
we're, we, we want to produce a strategy that's going to work across a, a wide array of marketplaces or uh, market events. And so, you know, to get into the details of how we deploy the strategy. So we're constructing, we basically at any one time always hold at least six different expiration dates and generally six different strike prices. We don't have a specific view on how high or how low the market might go in the future, but we do know that we want to diversify our puts across time so that we can hedge the widest swath of potential future market downside events possible. The other thing we want to take out of it, and we see this as an opportunity, we see actually two opportunities. The first is that we don't want timing risk into this. We don't want timing risk in the product. And, and what I mean by that is options are incredibly unique instruments. They expire sometimes on a weekly, monthly, or quarterly cadence. Oftentimes, many of our peers will go ahead and purchase options at a specific cadence, whether it's every single month or every third month. Um, but that can introduce market timing risk that is um, not beneficial to the strategy. We need the ability to provide a solution that is going to offer investors a very, I want to say equivalent, that's probably not compliance approved, but very similar risk attribute um, or it's the same risk attributes. So relative to the investor that joined on day one, day 15, day 60 of the quarter, um, that's really what we're trying to do and why we so broadly diversify not only our expiration dates, but also our strike prices. So, so let me just sort of add into there, for instance, you know, we're hearing about the U.S. debt ceiling right now. We hear about it often. Many people don't worry about it, but it's a big headline event and so on. You don't want to walk into it timing that. But the talk about it today might be quite different from the talk about it, say, in the spring, for instance. Tell us just how ultimately investors can walk into this product at, you know, no specific time, but be able to get some of the advantages, just sort of expanding on what you're doing. But, you know, there are events that people are aware of out there that um, may become greater or lesser fears going forward. Yeah, that's right. And there are, boy, there's there's just an infinite number of risk events out there that we have to think about. And the debt issue is certainly one of them. And so diversifying, again, strike price, but also expiration date, allows us to achieve a couple things, right? There's no one period of time where we know we only have a day or two or five days until all of our protection is bound to expire. And then we have to go ahead and refresh it. Avoiding that um, monthly or quarterly refresh of our of our put protection allows us to create a, a smoother uh, downside dampening profile in the portfolio so that whatever events coming our way, um, you know, we're going to have a level of uh, risk mitigation in this strategy that is commensurate or consistent with our objectives. And just picking up on that, Pamela, because I think your last question really hints at an important differentiating characteristic of our strategy. We've talked a lot about the upside, you know, advantages of this product where we're really trying to stay out of the way when the market rallies. You know, Eric just, and, and you hinted at these exogenous shocks that happen from time to time, these, you know, kind of black swanish events. Like you don't know when they're coming. They don't happen all that often, but when they do, they do a lot of damage to portfolios when you get these really severe drawdowns. And our product is is really protecting against that tail event, that left tail event. You know, we've got a little bit of a barbell put option portfolio um, where we're trying to protect in more moderate drawdowns. But some of the allocation on that explicit cost that, that Eric mentioned is, is really those longer dated put options that are much further out of the money with more of an explosive convexity profile. So when you do get one of these events, like you mentioned, that 
you know, we know the debt ceiling debate is coming, but we didn't know that, you know, for instance, Russia was going to invade Ukraine. Some people may have thought that, but, you know, the, these events happen in the world that we don't anticipate, um, that we're not prepared for. And when they do, you know, that, that tail risk protection that we bring to the table with this product can really kick in. And again, you don't need it all the time, but when you have it, you're, you're glad you do. And Tim, I might just ask you to kind of add on to a comment you made about asset allocators. Actually, I think Fidelity Connects, Fidelity Canada, quite familiar with David and David and Jeff Stein also. And do you want to just tell us a little bit about how you work with some of the asset allocators? I think, I think you've had some conversations, certainly. So my team is, is responsible for harnessing the great investment capabilities that we have at Fidelity, like, like Eric here and his team and creating both products that can be sold direct um, to consumers and customers, institutional, intermediary clients, but also creating building blocks for internal solutions. So, you know, they're one of our primary constituents and, you know, we feel like they're true institutional investors. So if we're meeting their needs from an investment requirement perspective, they're very likely meeting the needs of external investors as well. So, you know, that's an input that we take very heavily into our product design. Um, in portfolio construction is the needs of our internal asset allocators. Jeff Stein's a great example. He manages tens of billions of assets up in Canada. He is he has invested in our hedged equity products. So, you know, these these liquid alternative products that I mentioned at the top are building blocks to our solutions um, that we provide for customers both in the US and Canada. So it's really nice to have that that interest from our internal asset allocators because it it makes us feel like we're we're bringing the right solutions to the marketplace. Eric, any just final thoughts? There is one question coming on, just sort of back to the defensive nature of this. What is the kind of risk rating ultimately? Do you want to just finish out with some comments on, you know, broadly what you're trying to accomplish here? Yeah, definitely. So I, I think many of the advisors um, in this discussion or that are watching today are, are accustomed to hedged equity strategies out there in the marketplace. I think what I would like to tell them is that this strategy is a little bit unique relative to our peers. We're focused on outperformance in the tails. So the, the protection that we have embedded in this strategy is really going to kick in. It's really going to add value in the highest volatility drawdown events. You know, those are the markets where we really worry about the investor making a bad decision and saying, that's it, I've had enough. And so how can we keep investors in, you know, in the markets when things get scary? And then the other part is the right tail. It doesn't get enough attention. How do we allow investors to participate in a hedged equity strategy without totally throwing away their upside in those those just momentous, you know, awesome years, 2013, 19, uh, 21. How do we get that as much participation as we can? So that's how we stack up. And, you know, that's probably how I would, in a nutshell, compare our product to what else is out there in the marketplace. Tim and Eric, I want to thank you both for joining us. It's, it's been a pleasure to speak with each of you. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks, Pamela. Yeah, thank you, Pamela. Thanks for joining us here today. I'm Pamela Ritchie. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.